This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Welcome to the Better Samaritan Podcast, where we seek to do good better and faithfully. My name is Dina Dyer, and I'm the Communications Specialist for HDI. I'm filling in for Jamie and Kent today. Because May is National Foster Care Month, we wanted to bring in Roy Baldwin and Emma Sugita from Christian Heritage, a nonprofit agency in Nebraska. Our team had been introduced to them recently and found their mission and hearts were very much aligned with ours. Roy is the Executive Director and Emma is the Training Director for Christian Heritage. Their purpose as an agency is to see the gospel redeem the most broken families. They believe the power of a loving community changes everything and God's people are the answer. Their vision is to see every child flourish in the face of adversity and trauma. I think you're really going to enjoy hearing from them. So without further ado, here's my interview with Roy and Emma. Welcome to the Better Samaritan podcast, Roy and Emma. We are so glad to have you today. Yeah, we're excited to be with you as well. Yes, very excited. Thanks. Roy, tell us a little bit about Christian Heritage and what you guys do. Yeah. You know, Christian Heritage, you know, located here in Lincoln, Nebraska. We've been around 42 years, so really started in 1981. You know, our founder, Greg and Lisa Nicholas, he was an executive at IBM and came to know Jesus. And as the story is shared, he had this vision, I think, while he was in downtown Lincoln for just vulnerable kids. And that led them on a journey of becoming foster care parents and then really starting their own foster care agency, a faith-based foster care agency. And it started out with kind of group homes. So we had two properties. We have a major property here in Lincoln. We had a property out in Kearney as well. And we started, you know, providing congregated care back then, which was a much more acceptable practice than it is, you know, it is today. And so much has pulled us away from that and then really primarily became a foster care agency over the last 30 years, probably about 11, 12 years ago, we started a program initially called Destination Dad. It is now called Beyond Prison. And so we provide parenting training, relationship training in prisons. And so I believe we're in every prison in Nebraska except one. It's not faith-based, but we use different parenting curriculums to equip dads, you know, once they're, you know, released out of prison. And we also work then with a lot of the families who have typically a dad, uh, some moms, but particularly dads who are incarcerated. And so we come alongside them and care for them. And that is very faith-based for us and just opportunity to love on them, share the gospel. We partner really well with churches in regards to that program. And you know, the last few years, we've been kind of rolling out a, not a new program, but we call it Families Together. And it really is on the preventative side of prevention for keeping kids out of the foster care system. We initially started doing Safe Families. That's how it initially got started with us. And then, you know, we kind of moved away from that and started 
you know, internally using a lot more of the case management skills that we learn from foster care and really using that case management style, supporting biological families like we did through our prison ministries, a lot of strong family advocacy, and kind of bringing those two worlds together in terms of providing preventative care. And so our heart behind families together is training up homes, what we call host homes, which is, you know, temporary short-term care for those who might be identified as moderate to high risk of, you know, being entered into the child welfare system, but just need some of the right additional supports. And so we train families to care for those kind of short-term situations. We also, again, work with the biological family. And then we also use Care Portal, which is a lot of people might be familiar with. It is kind of this communication highway tool that we use of connecting DHHS needs to the local churches. And we also provide that as an opportunity. We're an implementing partner here in the Lincoln, Omaha area for Care Portal. And so that combination of meeting the tangible needs as well as respite needs or short-term care, we're able to do that outside of the foster care system. So those are our primary programs, but we've done lots of different things over the last 40 years, but these are the three that have stuck and we're kind of building and scaling those out now. That is great. What an incredible ministry and organization it sounds like and so needed. It is. We've been through significant changes. You know, I think part of for us as Christian Heritage is 2015, our founder, Greg, was tragically killed in a hit and run. His -hmm. wife, Lisa, then passed away a few years later from cancer. And so in terms of an organization, right, caring for the most vulnerable as an organization itself, you know, we've had to work through that as well in regards to Mm -hmm. how do we care? How do we flourish? How do we thrive in the midst of our own challenges as well? And we've worked through a lot of Mm -hmm. that and we have incredible staff. We have an incredible network of churches and families, you know, that we partner with, which again, right, you think about the ebb and flow of life and the challenges we face, it really, for us as an organization, we've been really able to, I think, respond well to the needs because of the incredible network and connections and support that we have as an organization as well. That's great. Yeah. I want to come back to something you said about taking care of yourselves. But Emma, I wanted to ask you, I know that foster care in the foster care system, when you think of it, I think we all maybe think of trauma. And what are some of the kinds of trauma that you see, not just with the kids in the system, but maybe those around within and that have been a part of that? Yeah, I think obviously with the kids, the number one reason kids are removed is neglect. You know, oftentimes we hear of the terrible cases, physical abuse, sexual abuse, all of those. But the majority of removals are actually neglect. Um, And that's the United States, even in Nebraska in terms of removals. But I think what you're even touching on more is the trauma that everyone goes through. And one thing I think that we've come to realize at Christian Heritage, especially coming out of COVID, you know, which seems like years ago, but really it was just a short time ago, Mm -hmm. is how prevalent trauma is and how vulnerable all of our kids are, right? From the kids sitting in pews at church, you know, the fact that 70% of people will experience a form of trauma in their life is so huge. And so just to consider that, and I feel like that's one of the things that we're working on at Christian Heritage is how we equip the church to really handle that, that Mm -hmm. information. And how do we care for people in that? Because kind of 
to go back to your question, foster parents, when they take in a kiddo who's experienced neglect or any other form of abuse, if anyone in their community, including themselves, take on secondary trauma, like our staff take on secondary trauma, even how do we equip churches to handle all of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so important. What are some of the hopes you have for the training you want to implement or that you do implement with churches? What are some of the goals and things? Yeah, so we just started implementing something we call becoming a trauma responsive community. Um, We've done it in two churches now with our third church going to do it in less than a month now. And it's really a four session training. The first session really comes into why we call it becoming a trauma responsive community. Why we chose those terms are because we are all becoming, right? Like we are all becoming more like Christ. Like that's our goal as Christians. Mm-hmm. And trauma is this ever building thing, right? Like we're always learning more about trauma. It's so huge and so complex and looks different for everyone. And so we really spend a lot of time in that first session talking about that. The second session is really just like a surface level, get to know trauma. What is trauma? So us who work in the field know quite a bit on trauma. The majority of us have gone to school where we've taken many classes in trauma, but the general public are not that way, right? Like I use my husband, love him dearly as an example, but he works in construction. Like doesn't know a ton about trauma, right? Right. And so just talking to people in the church to educate them more, lay leaders, Sunday school teachers, all of that. And then we dive into a care community. So the people who care for people who experience trauma or the people who are taking in someone who's experienced trauma, what do they need? Which goes beyond just showing up with a meal. So we spend another session talking about that. And then we end off this training with a panel where we bring in foster parents. We bring in host homes from our Families Together program. We bring in families who we've served in Families Together. We're, we're bringing in staff from beyond prison. So really all walks of what we do at Christian Heritage to come and sit on this panel really talk about what care communities look like, what has worked. And we have churches just coming to us from right and left and up and down asking for this training as they've heard about it. We really haven't even advertised it. It's But once they've caught wind in our community, everyone is really wanting it because everyone's like, what we need to do better. We need to care for our people better. Right. Yeah, that's really what it is. <laughs> that's incredible. Roy, to go back to one of the things you said, right. and Emma, you touched on it as well. How do you take care of yourselves? I know that Jamie and Kent say that there's no spiritual first aid without self-aid. It's so easy to get overwhelmed by the needs when you're working in this type of work. So how do you prevent burnout and all of those kind of things with your staff? Yeah, delicately, that is for sure. So I think there's two things at work that I think that we've had to tackle as an organization. I mean, I've, I've only been the CEO two years. And so kind of walking into you know, where the organization was at, assessing all of the challenges that, you know, we've had to work through as an organization. We have a brand new end statement from the board. We were being measured very differently than we have been the previous 40 years. You know, the previous 40 years is the work that we do that children are filled with hope. So we moved away from that and we're moving towards that, you know, we exist to see children flourish through adversity and trauma. It's a very different outcome now that we're painting. And because mm-hmm. of that different emphasis now, you know, we've built a mission, vision, and core values 
to complement that? Like, how are we going to show the right outcomes to children flourishing? And so because of that, it creates a very different emphasis now of the work that we do every day and how, how do we measure that? And I believe this, and I believe our staff understand this, is we can't help children flourish if we're not flourishing, right? We can't give what we don't have. Right. So part of that means that we've got to do a hard look at our daily practices. We have to take a hard look at our programming. You know, how do we make our staff feel like they're a primary recipient of the services that we provide? How do they feel like they're a part of the problem solving and Mm -hmm. the way that we design things? It's not all about growth for us here. This is about children flourishing. And so again, with that kind of new vision, it really then helps us really look at and reshape then how we operate on a day-to-day battle. And I'm being honest with you, that's been one of the most difficult things that we've had to work through the last two years is getting the right alignment towards these outcomes. Because again, our mission statement or vision Mm -hmm. statement probably looks really great on a wall. But if we're burning our staff out, we will never Mm -hmm. see that come to fruition. And so it really is taking a hard look at those practices and then designing it well. So that's kind of big picture, at least, you know, when I think about this, you know, as the CEO, Then the other aspect is constantly encouraging and working really hard with our senior leadership team from an HR perspective, from a training perspective to, so we're growing our staff to actually help with the load and the weight instead of asking and putting one more thing on someone else's plate. It's like, no, let's create the right space. Let's get the right organizational structure to allow for growth. And so we've done a lot of that hard looking at, you know, our budgets and HR and increasing time off. I mean, Emma right now is at home. Like we encourage Emma to be a mom first. We encourage her to be a wife first. And then we know that when that's a happy going well place, she's going to be more productive in helping us flourish. And I think part of that for me, just on a personal level, I just came out of camp ministry for Mm -hmm. six years there wasn't anything left. I was a shell two years ago. Just being honest with you, but I'm not, I have you know I've been married. I, I have three kids, that, yeah. and it's taken two years for us to recover from the output with very little being put in. And so I've learned so many valuable lessons from that. And and so what I don't want to do is then constantly create this really unhealthy balance. I know what's true. That doesn't mean I was practicing what, what's true. And I think what I've really tried to fight for is I need our staff to be healthy. I need our staff to be engaged. I need to understand that it is messy. The work we do is super messy and it's going to require a lot. And Emma hit on that secondary mm-hmm. trauma. And so we've got to create the right patterns and behaviors and rhythms here in our organization so we can ultimately not just care for the kids, but care for our staff. I know that's kind of a long answer, but I don't think there's any easy answers when we talk about their outputs and then ultimately, you know, how we measure that. And our staff are critical in that. And that goes true for our foster families and everybody else that we partner with is we've got to care for people really well. That's so important. That's really good. Emma, I know that it probably also feeds you doing this work when you see success stories and you see things that are happening that are hopeful. Do you have anything like that that comes to mind that you could share with the listeners, maybe just one life that you've seen that has been changed and has really encouraged you in this work? I don't know. There's so many. I guess like what comes to mind right now, I have several actually. So I actually just onboarded a new staff actually onto my own team. 
who comes to us from being a foster parent herself with our agency for like, I don't even know how long since I even was working at Christian Heritage. So sorry, Amber, if I blow it, but it's like, I don't know, she may have been a foster parent for like eight years or something like that. And now she's come like finally never adopted until literally a month ago. And then two weeks after that, took a job with us actually as one of our permanency support workers. And so just super exciting to see that come full circle. I also am just like thinking of how, so my kids are in a small in-home daycare. We talked some about our host homes, which are our family at our, our families together who takes kiddos in. My kids also happen to be like, I knew this family previously before they did daycare for my family. I didn't know that they were in their personal life thinking about being a host home. It all happened at the same time, right? So just like God's coincidence, right? It wasn't mm. a coincidence. There was a God. It was God completely. And so my kids are at in-home daycare, small in-home daycare, four kids, two of them are mine. Every once in a while, there's new kids involved because their in-home daycare providers are host homes. And so one of those hosts was an eight-week hosting that the mom was receiving services for because she had previous issues and she was feeling like that was coming up again, decided she needed help, called us for help. She went into rehab facility where she had to live at it and she's still there. But within the first eight weeks, she has to be there independently without her kids. And then after that, she gets her kids. And so she needed a hosting. She is a single lady, doesn't really have much community. And they stepped in and took it. Those kiddos actually just went to be with their mom like Mm -hmm. 10 days ago, maybe two weeks ago. And so just even seeing how that impacts my personal family, right? So I live in like this dual world whenever our daycare ends up with the hosting of being like my kids impacted by taking these kids in and actually serving in that way themselves, Mm. even at their young age and seeing these people who I love in my personal life, take in these kiddos and do the work that a lot of our families. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I guess this question would be for either of you as we think about a listener that's not in Nebraska, but maybe in their small community or maybe a large community, they have very little knowledge of foster care, but they want to pray for foster care families. Maybe they have an interest in getting to know more about it. What's one thing that you would say that they could do that would help? I know that it's a big system. It's a lot of issues, but what's one thing that our fellow Christians could do that would make a difference? I think like, especially being in different states, it's just educating yourself on your system specifically, how it's working. Systems, especially when the state's involved, right? When the government are involved are really broken. So just stepping in and caring for those who decide to step into that messiness, even if you're not ready to, or you might not ever be ready to step into that and really caring for those who do. So us as church members, just really educating ourselves on what our families are going through who do that. So even just thinking about my church personally, families who serve as foster parents or who've even adopted privately, domestically, overseas, any of that, just thinking of what they have gone through in terms of trauma. So educating yourself on that. So this is what I would add. Um, Because, you you know, I think part of it is I would be surprised that if at some level in every church in America, there probably isn't one family within that church body that's not doing fostering. And right. So, cause you got to think about, you know, for us, I think once we become believers, 
we kind of get this immediate wiring of how do we care for widows and orphans, right? Right. If we have the Holy Spirit motivating us, we gain a capacity to care and compassionate. So I think about philanthropy, the Christian church is huge when it comes to giving and philanthropy. And, and obviously, maybe not everyone's called into foster care, but the more that you're in that network, the more that you realize there are people probably in my church who are probably doing this work. And so I think one of maybe the easiest ways within the, your church body is find out who's maybe fostering or who's adopted. I promise you they will need help and support, whether that's with transportation or just needing a respite or a weekend or, you know, a meal or those kinds of things or prayer, right? I mean, so all of those things I think are really low hanging fruit. But we also know there's also a national shortage of foster families, the pandemic has had an impact. And so there's a huge need for foster families more than ever. So Mm -hmm. I think just learning what those needs are, I think people would be surprised. We walk through this journey with a lot of families like, well, I'm not sure. Or, you know, one spouse is more excited about it than the other spouse. And like, I would just say, man, if God is leading you in this space, just be obedient. There's incredible blessing, incredible blessing by caring for a vulnerable child, whether that's short-term or long-term, I think it is a really beautiful thing. And I think you'd be pleasantly surprised about, you know, what you learn about yourself. And I think the gospel and understanding the gospel more fully. So those would be just two kind of thoughts I would have in regards to foster care. That's great. Well, is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like to talk about? One of the things, actually, we were just at so Barna just did a study actually here in Omaha, Omaha, Nebraska, yesterday. We were up there with about 300 other individuals in the church. And what was really fascinating, and I, I think it applies to this, is they did a comparing churched adults in Omaha versus the national populations. I love data. So the question, so this is the question, if you had an emotional need, would you be likely to reach out to any of the following for support? Friends in my church or congregation, you know, about 67 or 65%. My senior lead pastor, you know, nationally that was 66%. For Omaha, it was 56%. What's fascinating is how then we, Omaha drops significantly even below the national average. So, you know, how likely would I go to get an emotional need met to a staff member at my church? Just 41% in Omaha, 56% nationally. So we think about trauma, we think about just our conversations that we're having. Our hope as an organization is why is becoming a trauma responsive community so important to us? Why is it so important for us to mobilize the church around being trauma-informed is because we need our churches to be safe. And so I think for us, when we think about vulnerable children, and Emma touched on this, vulnerability is no longer this well, that's just families in child welfare or kids are being neglected. I mean, what, uh, three out of 10 youth right now are flourishing in the U.S. We look at teen suicide rates. We have a major crisis and epidemic around mental health needs. So I think for us as an organization who are steeped in education around trust-based relational intervention and trauma and where that used to be to such a very segmented group in our thing, I think has now been normalized. And our heartbeat as an organization is how do we raise awareness in our churches that we're failing children in every institution and the church is more than capable 
of not just, I think, short-term connection. You know, we think about that from a programming level, but we think about long-term, you know, what counters trauma. We know it's connection. There is no other better institution like the church to not only provide short-term connection, but I would say generational connection. Yes. So our hope as an organization is to be that bridge builder to the need. We are every day working with the unchurched. We're working with where there is a very felt, tangible need every single day. Emma shared one of the stories we can be a bridge to not another government agency or not to another, you know, think in isolation, but we can introduce them to if a church is healthy and a church is able to feel like, man, this church meets my felt needs, my emotional needs, my spiritual needs. We know that we are setting that family up for a long-term you know, opportunity to thrive and flourish, not just for the temporary, but for the eternal. And so mm-hmm. that's really for us is how do we move, I would say, is, you know, at least what we've been known as a foster care agency for 30 years, which is really on the tertiary side of intervention. How do we get into the primary? How do we keep kids out of the foster care system. It's overwhelmed. There's not enough funding. There's not enough caseworkers. So by getting less kids into the system, we're actually going to allow the system to have a better chance to thrive. And the church is, we believe that God's people are the answer to that. So that's the only thing I think I would add to this conversation that there is a really big thing at stake for us beyond just, you know, kind of our world of foster care is how do we help children thrive. And the only way to help children thrive and flourish is helping the church thrive and flourish. And we're, we want to do both. That's great. Well, you're speaking our language here at the Better Samaritan and with HDI and spiritual first aid, all those things, we appreciate what you're doing and it's important. And we'll be praying for you as you move forward in this work. Thanks for being here. Enjoyed speaking with you. you for joining us on The Better Samaritan. Be sure and check out our show notes for links to resources on foster care, as well as resources on trauma and burnout. And join us next time as we journey alongside you to learn how to do good better and faithfully. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know, A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?